Hello and welcome to Heineken Rugby Weekly on the 42.e. You know the scale at this stage. Every week we bring you behind the lines with expert analysis, tactical insights and engaging conversation around the international and club season. Our expert analysts will ask the hard questions and answer any you might have each Thursday. We'll also have a feature interview with some of the biggest names and most interesting characters in the game. This week we've got Nigel Carolyn sitting down with Murray Kinsella. And if you want more from that game, join Heineken Rugby Club whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit heinekenrugbyclub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.ie on how to do so. My own name is Gavin Casey. I'm joined in studio by Murray Kinsella of the 42.e and I'm joined on the line as well by former Ireland head coach Eddie O'Sullivan. How are things, gents? Murray, I'll start with yourself. You good? Yeah, all good. Looking forward to another uh, big Heineken Cup weekend. Eddie, how are you? Good, thanks. As I said, uh, busy times uh, on the Heineken Cup end, so looking forward to it again this weekend. Absolutely. Sure, we'll kick off straight away. So, um, a couple of things to discuss. Firstly, obviously, Bernard Jackman and the Dragons have parted company. It was, um, I suppose, a difficult spell for Bernard there. Like, he had a lot of, uh, look, he had a lot of serious plans to, to bring that region on and it maybe didn't quite manifest itself on the pitch. I know, speaking to him, very briefly, I think he's okay with this. Um, he's not necessarily down in the dumps. Maybe he would have seen it coming. I'm not sure. But what was your um, impression of it, Eddie? I, I suppose as a as a spell. Well, it certainly was turning the dragons around, as we've seen in recent years. It was a bit of a job of work, you know. Um, and I know when he went in there, he he kind of tried to recalibrate everything, which included getting the the Welsh Union to invest more money in it. Um, and and on the face of it, he he got pretty much everything he wanted, and uh, then I think the expectation was that everything will kick on this year, uh, and I suppose it hasn't really kicked on. But you have to take it on the from the point of view is that um, how soon did they expect it to kick turn around, or what was the the, the their expectation? Now it's, it's been a tough season for him, and he's had some bad losses. And you're ultimately, as a coach, judged on your win loss race. Your you know that's about as simple as that. So he got. He probably um, could have done with more time to figure it out. It's very early in, in the in the year to decide that it's not going to work for him. So I was disappointed. Um, like he really last year, everyone agreed he was trying to recalibrate. So this year, you would have thought he'd got a bit more time to get things sorted. And I, I'm not defending the fact that they have they only won three matches, but really the season is only going on a few months, and they've decided that it's not going to work. Which is it's fairly uh, quick to make that decision. So it's a tough call on him. Um, but I suppose himself he'd say that look, yeah, he probably should have got more uh, uh, ticks in the wind column, but um, no, it didn't happen for him. So it's it's always tough to lose your job as a coach because it's it's a personal thing, you know. What I mean, and it's quite public. Uh, but you know, Bernard's, um, I suppose he's a young coach. Um, he may go back and recalibrate now, and maybe just even go in and look for a job somewhere as an assistant coach for a while, and and, and get out of the limelight that he's been in for a couple of years with Grenoble and Dragons. So wish him well, anyway. You know. Yeah. Can I ask you about that, Eddie? Actually, how much is it a case of maybe your your pride being dented, or or I suppose how does it feel? Like, because it does seem as a, a, a quite a, look. It's an unsavory thing. Nobody wants to be going through it, but. When you're going through it yourself, as I mentioned there, it, it is tough. Like, it, does it hurt? Like, what, 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 what was your kind of memory of it? Well, it's it's never nice to lose your job, you know. I mean, no matter what the job it is, and I suppose with a rugby coach, uh, the position you're in is a very public thing, losing your job, and there's all sorts of comment around it, and you know, everybody has a say. Like, if you're if you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices. <laughs> you know, you would be pretty bad about it as well, but that's the problem with rugby. But that's the nature of the business. Um, I think you always feel that you've kind of unfinished business and every coach goes in with the best of intentions to try and make something work. Um, but like, it's a fairly fickle business as well. You know, I mean, you can... The difference between winning and losing some games is, the, is a referee decision revolves for ball and it's out of your control. Um, so for that, for that reason, there's always a sense that maybe if you got a bit of luck one way or the other, you might have been able to get past it. And there's momentum in the job as well. Like if things are going well, um, you know, you you get judged differently. And if you have a bad run, suddenly the pressure's on. So it's a fairly pressurized environment. But look, that's that's the nature of the business. Uh, it's a high profile. Like a friend of mine off describing a rugby coach is 
well, as walking a tightrope with no safety net, you know, and, and that's that's really that's a good description of it. So it's not it's not a nice thing to happen. It does set your confidence back a bit. It does make you look at yourself a bit and say, look, what if I had it back again? What could I change or what could I have done differently? Um, and that's not a bad thing either. It makes you better for it. But it's it's a tough lesson. But it's it's of course when the college are hard knocks and you either learn from it or you don't. But um, yeah, it's not a nice place to be. And it's probably the public nature as well that, that makes it a bit more difficult. And there's your family as well, you know, like your family are aware of it. And that's, you know, especially if you have young kids and they see it in the papers and stuff, that makes it a bit more difficult. So for me, it's it's not a nice thing to happen, but it's part of the business. And Bernard, Bernard is, I'd say, philosophical about it, to be honest. You know, he's giving it his best shot in the Dragons. And that's what you have to say to yourself. You know, if you have it back, would I change, what would I have changed? So the small things you might have changed. Um, no doubt, if you lose your job, you'll say, well, I might have done that differently. But in the bigger picture, what could he have done differently than what he's done? Only he knows the answer to that. And if you think you've given it a fair crack, given it all your energy, and you've done the best you can and didn't work out, then there is a sense of, look, that's the way it is. I can't do any more. Even though it doesn't taste nice, you've got to take your medicine and move on, you know? Yeah, we wish Bernard the best of luck anyway with uh, whatever is next for him. I'm sure he'll uh, be back in the sport in due course. Um, Murray Johnny Sexton has extended his contract until 2021. I was wrong, but I remember thinking a couple of years ago, maybe three years ago, that like when he was going down with some of these injuries, we'll be lucky to actually have him at the World Cup. But he's looking beyond that now, which is remarkable. It's going to take him to, what, the age of 35 or so? Yeah, he'll nearly be 36 by the time that contract comes to an end. Uh, Possibly his last deal, we don't know. Um, I mean, we spoke about it a couple of weeks ago that he's kind of stated his desire to play on. He's spoken about Tom Brady playing at 40 um, as a bit of a role model. Um, since he's come back from Racing 92 or Racing Metro as it was back then, that two-year stint was really tough on his body, uh, really tough physically for him traveling over and back for Ireland counts. But since then, he's been managed incredibly well and he's been exceptionally professional about managing his body. That's the thing. He'll be 36 almost by the time that contract ends, but he's going to be managed so well up to that point. Like Even looking at stats for this season um, and comparing him with Owen Farrell, who's always the one he's compared to, but yeah, it, it makes it, yeah. sense because they're the two... Um, talisman for the, for their national teams. So Johnny Sexton's played six times for Leinster, twice for Ireland for a total of 577 minutes. So far this season, Owen Farrell has played eight times for Saracens, four times for England for 919 minutes. Uh, so far, just this season. And, and that's going to just increase for Farrell as, as Saracens push on towards what looks like an in- inevitable premiership title. Um, and, and Johnny will be really well managed this year and next with the with the World Cup, even after the World Cup as well. He'll get his time off. Um, you're seeing even in New Zealand, the other place that probably manages their players particularly well, they're they're starting to roll that in and, and tell the Super Rugby teams that they're going to pull guys early in the season. So, yeah, Johnny could possibly play on even beyond that contract if he avoids and has what is a bit of luck as well in avoiding injury the last couple of seasons. Um, and then I guess after the World Cup, the big question for Joey Carberry and Ross Byrne is when and how can they challenge him and, and, and push into Andy Farrell's plans and, and maybe have a new face in the team. I think Johnny Sexton will have a pretty determined idea of um, continuing as that number one. And it's going to be fascinating to see uh, a guy who's the best player in the world at the moment, officially, uh, how he's going to, I guess, bring that consistency. Well, it emerged this week, yesterday, on Wednesday, that Joe Schmidt had turned down the uh, All Blacks assistant assistant coach role. Eddie, are you like? I mean, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's necessary. It's a nice news line for from a journalist perspective, but it wouldn't uh, strike me as particularly surprising news at the same time that he would have done that. Um, I'm not shocked because I mean, coach in Ireland and the Northern Hemisphere is one is probably you know one of the top jobs in, in the Northern Hemisphere at international level. Uh, no, that's partly down to the fact of success he's brought the team. But Irish rugby is a pretty good place to work when you consider. Um, the the control the Irish coach has over the players, so it's it's a pretty good head coach job to have, and then to go back to New Zealand as assistant. So from his own perspective, he had his own ambitions with Ireland. He looked at the team and said, "This team can go places. We can win a Grand Slam. We could probably beat the All Blacks. You know, there's lots of things he can do with Ireland that he wouldn't get the opportunity to do with New Zealand. Um, so it's not totally surprising he didn't leave. He you know back in 2017 to be an assistant coach. He obviously saw the potential." in the Irish team and his own ambition, which is exactly what he's expecting a coach of his calibre. So I'm not shocked, really. I mean, he can always go back to New Zealand when he's finished with Ireland and see what happens there. But I, I just think it's um, 
it, it's kind of a non-story. It's interesting, but it's a bit of a non-story. You know, it might have been a story at the time, but it's it's a bit dated now when you consider what he's achieved since he said no to New Zealand. <laughs> yeah, it's worked out fairly nicely for him. We'll look at the provinces then at the uh, turnaround in the pool stage. Maybe start with Leinster. I mean, obviously they got the job done, but Murray, how was it that they were, I suppose, dominated really by Bath at the breakdown? Like that was an interesting thing to observe. And listen, they they managed to eke out a win in in any case. But what were your or what was your interpretation of what went on uh, up front? Yeah, it's so rare to see, isn't it? Leinster is such a good breakdown rocking team. You've seen them take out the likes of Tyburn when he was playing with Scarlet several times, and it's always a massive focus for him. So it's really jarring to see them concede seven turnovers to to Lowe and and Sam Underhill at the breakdown. Six of those were penalties, and the other one was a clean turnover leading to the Henry Thomas try to to put Bath in the lead. It's tempting just to go okay, their breakdown was bad and, and certainly there's um, some kind of similarities between several of the turnovers, but there's so many different issues involved in that area of the game, probably summing up how disjointed uh, Leinster's performance was. Um, even if you look at the first one, uh, Luke McGrath gets turned over by Lowe for a penalty. It's Rob Carney's carry and his presentation on the ground, something that they're so good at generally, is just a little bit loose. The ball rolls under Luke McGrath's legs and he has to carry after recovering um, and Lowe can just clamp in over the ball with Tom Ellis there. The the clean turnover from Lowe before the try, that's off the back of a Leinster scrum. Dan Levy was selected at number eight. He, he's obviously not number eight. Um, and he actually had an issue just a couple of minutes before that earlier in the game off an attacking scrum where he kind of got the ball caught on the second row's leg. This time, uh, John Fogarty said it in the interview on BT Sport during the game, he doesn't get the ball over to his right-hand side, so he's picking off his left. Will Chudley, the bat scrum half, can tackle him from behind. Suddenly you're under pressure. Luke McGrath kind of falls in off his feet and, and low and underhill combine. So there's the first two breakdowns and there's multiple issues w- within that. They're all very fixable. Like there's other things like the third turnover is Lowe's uh, second penalty and Dan Levy was just a little bit slow getting around the corner from from the previous uh, carry. Reese Rodick kind of steps outside Underhill um, and there was brilliance from Bath in, in each of them. That time Lowe clamps over and Underhill bounces back up off the ground uh, really quick off the, off off the deck and and back in to kind of assist the turnover. Um, there there's loads there's loads in it. There there's just multiple issues without it being a, a massive kind of concern for Leinster. I think mindset and a little bit more accuracy in their own handling and their own um, ability on the ball. They they struggled kind of to launch off set piece a lot, uh, particularly in the first half. They had a lot of good platforms. Um, and Bath again played a, a part in disrupting that. But I think Leinster will look at that game and go, we had so many other opportunities to to, to build nice attacks, um, but our own little inaccuracies just let us down. The, the breakdown was massively telling in that. Um, and it was <clears throat> it was a very defensive bath back row, p- partly by, by necessity because they're missing Mercer and they're missing Faletau as well, the two kind of attacking, more attacking-minded players in the back row. So even with Ellis beside Lowe and Underhill, that's a very defensive back row. So really well set for a game that was always going to be confined by the conditions um, and Bath I felt almost adjusted to the conditions a little bit better that, than Leinster did which was surprising because that's two games in a row now where Leinster maybe haven't adapted in Toulouse it kind of happened as well they got back into a winning position and didn't really adapt to to being in that position and then against Bath it, it looked like Bath actually uh, changed their game better to suit what was going to be a really tough physical encounter between the two 15 metre lines so one of the things about Leinster last season was how well they did adapt but it was just a, a surprise really to see Bath better them in that area Eddie how do you adapt when you're talking about a week uh, between games against the same opposition like clearly you have a, a kind of you, you have something to go off in that you've just played against them but things like inaccuracies and even just maybe how you competed at the breakdown it's a difficult thing to just say uh, we need to be better here how do you in, how do you ensure that you are better well you find a thread of what's going wrong is it the ball presentation is it the clean outs uh, is it the, the proximity of the support players and you, you work on that during the week and you make that area more efficient. And everybody understands that. That's just what we call nowadays a work on, you know. But I think Leinster's issues at the back row were probably uh, predicated also on the fact that they physically did not win the battle against Bath. We've, we're used to Leinster choking teams out. Um, they choked out probably the toughest team that you can choke out is the Exeter Chiefs last year in two matches. Uh, and I thought they were on the back foot on, on, on Saturday against a very physical 
that team, who I haven't been playing well all season, you know, have been kind of up and down and in and out. So bats lifts to their game. Like if you're if you're playing Put it this way, if you're on the bat team last Saturday and you're having your pre-match lunch and you're about to go on the field and there's 14 guys who beat the All Blacks uh, uh, a few weeks ago playing against you, that does make you stop and think that if, if you're not on your game today, you're going to get wiped out at home in front of the home crowd and bats rugby is in, in, in that happy place. So you don't need another extra pressure. So they came out firing. And I think, yeah, the back row they had, the field suited that, the conditions suited it, but they were actually more physical. And Bath had Leinster in trouble when they played Route 1 rugby. It's when they tried to get smart and go around the corners, they had a lot of handling errors and mistakes um, that really undid them. Um, none more than the, the final penalty. I think they were on the full throttle and they turned the ball over. Uh, like Leinster break down field, and, and I think it's Gibson Park wins a turnover, and uh, and uh, Ross, Ross Byrne kicks the, the penalty to, to seal the game. So, like, there was also the, the, the intercept pass as well. Like, that was a gimme. Uh, you know, Leinster lost that line out. Had Leinster won that line out, they might have won the game. Um, and the Leinster line-out didn't fire as well. It wasn't all about the breakdown. Um, they lost a few line-outs, including the one that ended up giving them the seven points. They also struggled to build a mall. And then the day was in it, Leinster needed to be able to build a good mall. But that kind of disrupted the line-out in, in a way that they couldn't build a platform out of it. When they tried to mall, that shut it down without giving away silly penalties. And when they came off the top, some of the ball was badly delivered because there's pressure, which is worrying because, like, Devin Toner basically is key to Ireland's line-out. You would imagine he's key to Leinster's line-out and James Roy with them. It wasn't that they were stuck for options. And Reece Rodock was another line jumper in the back row. So their line-out has to be fixed as well. It's not just all about the breakdown. And I think the third thing is, I started out, was their, their, their ability not to get bullied around a bit. And I can't see them getting bullied again this week. I think part of the debate this week with them or the chat will be about upping them, their, themselves physically there was a lot of guys there as well played last weekend that had kind of two weeks off. You know, they didn't play the Pro 14 the week before. They hadn't played for Ireland the week before that against the US. They were kind of wrapped in cotton wool. And that's fine. But maybe with two weeks off, you lose your physical edge a little bit. And you play guys who have played every week for the last two months who are like really battle-hardened. And you're like you're like 5% off and it looks like you're 50% off. Now, Leinster weren't 50% off, but they might have been 1% off and looked like they were 10% off. You know, it, it's it, it's really that simple as well. So I think Leinster this week will obviously recalibrate the back row. And I think, you know, there's, there's no there's no doubt in my mind that Jack Conan has to come in there if he's fit. Um, and if he's not, they've got to look at Keelan Doris, I think. Because to be fair to... Um, to be fair to uh, to, to uh, Dan Levy, not alone, it's not just all about the scrum for Dan Levy because he's at the back of the scrum and it's a new place. He hasn't played there for many, many years at school's level and it's under pressure. But it changes all these lines of running because you're running, you're supporting from number eight position uh, and as a thing for number seven position. That's a different line of support and attack. It's a different line of uh, defence as well in terms of trying to get over the football. And I think... Um, like Maury, Maury uh, mentioned it there that Levy was late to one of the rocks that got turned over on because he was running a support line as a number eight rather than a number seven. So all those small little things have to be figured out. Well, fixables. But I think the biggest one for Leicester is they've got to find a way of getting over the gain line. Uh, and, and then the rock solves itself probably if you get over the gain line. It's, you don't lose many rocks when you're going forward. Mm. Leicester's problem on Saturday was they weren't going forward that much. A lot of the rocks were static and underhit and low got in there and, and caused all sorts of problems. So there's a, a lot of small things there that are, have to be fixed, but they're all fixables, um, and I'd expect them to get it fixed, or they will run the risk of, of getting caught at home, which, which probably, at this stage for Leinster, you, you believe wouldn't be really possible for them to let that happen. Mm. Didn't they really miss Robbie Henshaw, uh, a guy who we've I kind of heralded his class on here before, but you mentioned the physical battle, Eddie, and, and certainly he was badly missed in that regard. Noel Reid is a different kind of player, and that game probably didn't quite suit him. He doesn't quite have the physical impact in the tackle that Henshaw would have. Obviously, a really clever kick before the, the Leinster Mall try. He kind of has that more um, instinctive kind of ability on the ball and the kind of playmaking, having, having been a bit at 10, but certainly they missed Robbie Henshaw in that physical battle. Eddie's point also about teams raising their game for Leinster is massive. Tyke Furlong spoke about it during the week. Everyone now is going to be close to 100% against Leinster. And that's the challenge of backing up a title. Um, I know Andy's a big fan of Phil Jackson, the, the basketball coach, was reading his book about trying to repeat uh, NBA titles and, and just the fact that everyone you play 
is so motivated and so focused that you have to be perfect or close to it every time so yeah Leinster have certainly had a few wake up calls they did get over the line though in Bath and, and winning away in tough conditions uh, is certainly laudable Absolutely uh, Murray your sit down interview this week is with none other than Nigel Carlin Yeah Connacht are, are working away in the, the Challenge Cup had, had a win against Perpignan in pretty tough conditions uh, last weekend and they're they're on the road this weekend so caught up with him uh, speaking about Andy Friend about the kind of work that Carlin's doing in attack and just where Connacht are at this stage of the season Yeah well pretty horrific conditions down in Galway, even by Galway standards, last weekend, I'm sure Perpignan loved it. But but how pleasing was the performance from from your players, given that the conditions were so so tough? Yeah, from a, a Galway native, I can say it was it was biblical. Uh, <laughs> you know, I haven't seen uh, wind and rain like it in, in Galway in a long while, and um, you know, and to play a game in it was a real challenge, and it was a particular challenge because you know when we when had a look at Perpignan, there. They're pretty big humans. They're big lads, and um, you know our mall has been pretty effective for us all year. And we knew it was one of the weapons that we actually we felt wasn't going to be as effective against them as it maybe it was against other teams. So we had to look at at other ways to play the game. And partly that was to move them around and play a little more off the top of lineouts. And and um, again, as I said, just try and move them. It sort of made it a wide channel, and uh, it just made it an even bigger challenge. You know, to be able to do that, we had to find other ways to even deliver it off the line out. So, you know, there, there was breakouts, there was, um, there, there was no contest. We we're hitting the front to try and get it. And even that was difficult, uh, in the wind. So, um, mm-hmm. it just affected sort of the, the amount of possession that we had. But, um, but we played with the, we, the Brent, the breeze, we played with the, the hurricane in the first half. And sometimes it can be as hard to play with it as, as it is against us. But, um, unfortunately, we just didn't capitalize on, and all of the opportunities that we created, you know, we got two tries off that piece and, um, you know, I think we had four other opportunities and we just didn't get the scores on the board. Might have given us a bit more breathing space going into the second half. We always find for ourselves that we'd, we'd get one in the second half, but, um, without sort of that cushion, it just made it really, really difficult to play. I think we only got one. I think on one occasion we got into their, uh, you know, the opposition 22 in the second half. And look, thankfully we, we scored and it gave us, you know, it killed the game when we needed to because uh, they brought the game back to, to 17-10 and, um, you know, it was very much, I suppose it was squeaky bum there for a few minutes or so we got that that score that just gave us the cushion again. Mm. Well, you're, you're back on the road, obviously, to Perpignan now. I just want to ask you about the trip to South Africa. Obviously, really successful on the pitch with, with the two wins from two. D- did you get a bit more from the trip aside from that? It looked like certainly the players enjoyed that experience. Yeah. Uh, very much. Um, it was it was a very um, satisfying trip, both on the on the pitch and off the pitch. Um, I, I thought you know that Tim and and Dave, Tim and manager and, and Dave, the S&D guy, put a lot of thought into how we actually approached the the trip, and um, they decided we'd base ourselves in, in Cape Town for the majority of the trip, and probably because it's easier to get around in terms of it's a bit more um, normal to be able to go about your business in Cape Town and, and uh, so we based ourselves in Cape Town for the first few days and we did our training and I suppose any sort of um, climatization that we needed to do was done in Cape Town uh, and the weather was okay it was maybe low 20 which was you know was a bit different to here but we flew you know and we flew over to Port Elizabeth the day before the game and um, it's not that we were worried going over there but the lads were very um very relaxed during the week training it was really good it was short it was sharp and but there's a lot of distractions in Cape Town and, and you just hope that they're able to, to flick the switch you know come game day and it, it was amazing so once we got off the plane in, in Port Elizabeth it was you could see total change in um, in the attitude and they were on you know you could see they were ready for the game and we were particularly um, uh, you wouldn't be worried but you understand the threats that the Kings were, were you know, they can pose a very dangerous off broken play. They have some mm. exceptional athletes, very physical team, and um, you can't afford to kick loosely against them because, you know, they've, they've punished really good teams. They've punished Scarlett, they've punished uh, Leinster, you know, off, off broken play. So we knew it was a part of the, the game we had to be squeaky on, and we went in with a pretty low-risk plan. We knew we could maybe squeeze a couple of penalties out of the out of the drive and out of our scrums, and um, you know, anytime we kick, we need to kick the ball off the pitch, and I thought for the first 
most of the first half, I thought we stuck to the plan, um, you know, pretty well. And, and uh, you know, we, we had three tries on the board by half time. Very pleasing. Second half, uh, again, it was just a couple of loose kicks and they got them into the game. I think we played without the ball for about 20 minutes before, again, we got the, um, the bonus point try there. Uh, but it took about, you know, 25 minutes into the second half before we were able to do that. But, you know, a, a pleasing performance, a pleasing game. Um, and after that, again, it was back to Cape Town um, for recovery and, and prep then at the Cheetahs. And last year, we played at Cheetahs. We, uh, we, we spent nearly the week uh, in Blumfontein. Now, if you haven't been, it's, you know, of all the cities in the world, it's probably not the most glamorous. Okay. Uh, not a whole lot to do. It's, uh, you know, it's probably not one of the, the safest parts of, of Cape Town from what we hear. Um, so it, we're very much sort of confined to the you know, it's grounds the hotel and the training ground and, um, you know, and it's exceptionally warm up there. I mean, not only are you, are you at altitude, but it was about 36 degrees during the day and, um, you know, it was a nice family. I think 33 or 34 when we played, uh, on that Saturday. And, um, but I thought again, we, we just traveled up the day before the game. Um, and again, that switch was, was flicked. That's what we did our team when we walked around with a little bit more of a high tempo. Uh, team run there before the game that we'd normally have just to get the lads, you know, give them experience of how their lungs might be burning, how to get a second wind. And, um, but we were confident we'd back our, you know, the, the conditioning of the players there, but they're in good nick. Um, again, there's a lot of groundwork being done there. So we didn't really have too much concerns that it was going to be a fitness element to just make, mm. getting used to the, um, getting used to the heat as opposed to the, the altitude. Um, and, and I thought, I thought we stood up really well and, uh, when we played them in March there, actually the, the last, you know, 10 minutes, we started to wilt and, uh, and, and that's where we gave up a scrum penalty and we gave up a penalty at the, in a line out in our 22, which, which ultimately was our, our downfall that kicked the winner and with, with 30 seconds to go. And, um, you know, there was a similar fate. I think we, we, we gave up a penalty that got access to our, our half with about three minutes to go and, and we turned the ball over and, and we closed out the game. It was really pleasing overall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, great stuff on the pitch. I saw on Robin Copeland's Instagram that you were doing a bit of wine tasting. Are you a bit of a connoisseur? <laughs> I'm definitely no connoisseur. I said, the only reason he was there is he was our dedicated driver. Um, but no, I was, um, uh, you know, trying to sample a lot of the cultures. Not too often you get to Cape Town, so you have to make sure you, you yeah. sample everything that they have to offer. <laughs> Absolutely. Just in terms of the attack, Nigel, obviously your area of the game, I remember speaking to you kind of pre-season, you spoke about the three big rocks of Connacht's kind of play, tempo, yep. physicality and accuracy. Just in terms of the attack, yep. how have you rated that and, and what have you seen from what you've been trying to put in there with the players and what what you're delivering on the pitch in those three areas? Yeah, it's, um, uh, we felt last year there was maybe a little bit overly complicated in certain areas. There was maybe too many options. There was too much going through the lads. Heads, um, so every time there was a, a phase, and then, you know, you try and get your action words and call them of where you see the space. And um, I thought there was a little bit mud at times, and uh, I, we didn't maybe take as take advantage of as many opportunities as, as what we saw and what we could in the games. And um, but what we asked a lot at the, at the at the end of the season, we did our reviews, and at the start of the season when we when we came back together, we, we asked the players really is that you know. How do you want to be seen? What's your identity? What's your style? What, what do you want people to see when you're watching Connacht? And um, there was a whole range of words. And you know, I think the biggest, one of the biggest ones for us was consistency. But said, so how do you see consistency? And consistency of every time you get an opportunity, you, you know, to score, you try and take it. Every time you, you know, a line or a scrum, okay, goal, you're accurate. Your breakdown is accurate. Um, you can see visibly physicality in your carries and, and, and that's with, with all of the words that the lads came up that they, they wanted to look like we just summed it up together and said look under the term physicality it meant you know that we were, we were going to look for space in our carries we were going to try and fight through space and ensure that we, we win gain line and uh, not necessarily about winning collisions but we're to fight through contact and not necessarily look for contact but win contact and mm. um, when the opportunity is there and, and our breakdown just be really efficient there. Um, we're not going to be the biggest team in the world. So again, we want, we want to try, always try and play a game that's reasonably fast paced. And we speak about tempo, isn't it? It's about headless rugby. It's about controlled tempo. 
and sometimes instead against the Kings, you want to speed the game, or maybe reduce the speed of the game against other teams, you want to move them around. It's perfectly known. So, um, you know, controlling the tempo means just getting off the feet. So, I mean, even some of our reviews against uh, the Kings, we just basically get off the ground. If you get off the ground, you, you can set early. You set early, you scan, then you can see the opportunity and you're in a position to take advantage of those. Yeah. It's really, really simple principles. Um, but it just means that we can go back to a big rock, one word encapsulate, you know, um, part of the essence of the attack is physicality around our carries, our tackles, the tempo around, um, you know, getting off the ground or bounce in our defense, um, getting set, making sure that our, what we call backs or power forwards are positioned, are, are able to, um, are set up to take advantage of wherever the, you know, the space, the super space on the, on the, against the opposition and, and trying to be as more accurate than we were last year and even things around exits and an area of the game I thought we were, which we had, uh, I think, a, a lot of room for improvement at the end of the season. We've, we've still a lot more clarity around that. Um, it's not as loose as it was last year. There's a, there's a tighter, there's a, still a framework to attack, but it's, mm. uh, again, we rarely practice it because clarity around that and I think that's probably the most important aspect around all of our attack and defense is that really clear systems are very they're quite simple um, but what we want to try and do is take the, the thinking and reduce the thinking time for the players when you know you only have three or four seconds to maybe assess the situation and make sure it's very they've got simple commands in their heads and um, they see the pictures they want to see they're communicated and hopefully in a position to take advantage Mm, certainly the players have mentioned that the, the clarity has been much appreciated you mentioned the the set piece kind of first phase tries last weekend against Perpignan I just wanted to ask you a bit about that because Joe Schmidt mm-hmm. kind of said he grabbed a few from the Mitre Tank Cup and here and there where do your moves come from because you've scored a few nice ones now and, and that that Daryl Eder try in particular last weekend was a lovely little play yes <laughs> you know it's funny it's been in the what we have is basically a bank of plays and um, you know so all, all over the pitch you we practice every week. Maybe a, a hypothetical situation. If it's a scrum, as you have 20 meters on the left hand side or on the right hand side, and what we do is we position the the lads into a, a setup, and then they have to read the pitcher in front of them. And if the pitcher presents the opportunity on the left or the right, they got to communicate that and, and take advantage of that. And uh, I think we've been practicing that play all season. That's the first time we actually had a got an opportunity to try it. It's pleasing that you know they get one shot at it and they, they you know they scored off it. You know, unfortunately, then there was there was two other occasions where we'd, uh, you know, scrums in attacking positions, and uh, both Bundy and Dave Horwood kicked the ball in the middle of the of, of the strike. And so I was, you know, made for an interesting chat on uh, a Monday in our review because, you know, they're the opportunities that we set guys up to. You know, I mean, this is why it should be exciting to play with us. We set them up to make decisions. They're they're in a, a formation that they just have to read the picture, and uh, if they see the picture that. That works for them. It's, it's try and execute, and okay, you need a. Everybody's a cog in a wheel, and everyone has a role to perform. And and, and you know the pleasing thing for any coach, you Josh Pitts or anybody, but you know when all the cogs, everything you know, uh, works effectively, then it, you know you you get someone snowed through, albeit a little gap of maybe six inches, and uh, all the better when when it's in under the sticks, and you, and you get your try for it, but. Um, yeah, like our players, every coach is a magpie, really. I mm. think everyone sees, you know, some, something done somewhere. You go, oh, that's interesting. And you, you put sometimes your own little twist on it. And um, But we ask the lads as well, you know, to come up with plays. So every time we do it, goes, what do you think might work here or anything different? Or we're always asking the lads to be innovative or try and be creative and come up with, you know, there's many ways to skin a cat. And but for us, we try not change too often. I mean, it's, um, the thing I think this year we're finding is we have a bank of plays and um, you know sometimes that's based on what we see in the opposition we pull this player that player we think this might work and uh, we, we change them up then every other week but essentially they come from the from the same bank and they just have a, have a different twist on them and uh, and it keeps it interesting to the lads and it's, it's fun when you, it's fun right when they when they work yeah you know, it's, it's nice to see the, the fruits of your labour and but um, yeah, the amount of time to practice them versus them pulling off is uh, 
you know, you'd like to get a more a better hit rate. Of course, yeah. I guess you're talking about their players making their decisions within a bit of a structure and having their kind of autonomy in that sense. What about on the coaching side? Because Andy has come in and, and he's talked about letting you guys, yourself, Peter Wilkins, Jimmy Duffy, he, he had yeah. that phrase, just go and do what you do. How has that been yeah. for, for you as a coach? How welcome has that been? Oh, it's, it's fantastic. Um, Andy's been a breath of fresh air. Um, you know, and saying that, like as a head coach, he's, he's got his fingers in all of the pipes. Um, you know, he, he's got a, an opinion on all all parts of our game. But um, you know, him coming in, and he, you know, and he, he saw a little bit what we were doing last year. And um, you know, I was, I suppose, my first conversation with him was, you know, with his background as a tech coach at Ireland, so became tech coach at Brumbies. He's a tech coach, and and uh, when he was in Japan, I said, you know, we're going to have to have a chat about, you know, what, how we split up the attack. And he goes, no, no, no. He said, I'm coming in here, fresh eyes. He said, I like what you're doing. He said, you guys just belt away. I like it. And he said, I'll, I'll pitch in whenever I feel, um, you know, you need my voice. Eddie, how did Ulster reignite their season? Incredibly impressive result for them. Um, yeah, it was the best performance of the season. Uh, no doubt about that. Um, I, I, I'm the jury's still out on whether they've turned their season around because we've seen this Ulster before where they've had a really big performance and you go, here we go, they're up and running and then they slip off again. So the, I'm yet to be convinced. And if they put the Scarlet's to sword this weekend comfortably and then have a good Christmas with the Interpros, then I think they're back. But like, and I don't, not trying to, to uh, throw in on their parade, but they, they really had a really one good big performance and they've had some really bad performances this year and they've won some games like with the skin of their teeth because Cooney is such a good place kicker. So the jury is still out. But going to the game itself, yes, it was their best performance. I think from the off, like, you could see there was a huge amount of intensity in their game like from the off. that it's, I saw it on the defensive side of the ball where they were on their feet, the line was loaded and they got off the line really aggressively from the very start. And that's always a good sign. You see teams like working to get on their feet, get that extra body into the line and then launch the fence. And they were able to slow the the, um, the Scarlet's attack to let them do that. And the other thing they did really well was they mixed it up between playing a drift defence and an up and in. Like They read the Scarlet's passes out the back really well. And they, at times they came up and in and shut them down. And if you're playing against a defence that is, is um, changeable, in other words, sometimes they drift, sometimes they come up and in, um, it does put a screw in your head as an attack because you're never sure what they're going to do. And it does affect how you open them up. So, like, there's a couple of times the, the Scarlet's went out the back, as they normally do, and the guy got milled, you know, he got hit behind the gain line. So next time he's in that position, he he's getting a pass, he's not sure I'm going to get hit here or I've got a time on the ball. And all that kind of plays into unsettling the Scarlets, who are very comfortable on the ball. So I think it all started with their defence, and it was such a good defensive performance. I think the tries, I think Stockdale's try was a great try, but it, like the defence was, I'm not trying to again take away from his ability, he's a phenomenal finisher, but the tackling from Scarlets was awful. Yeah, was I mean, it just didn't really. bother tackling. You know? and, um, but I think um, Addison's try was a cracking line, hit a brilliant line, which I think the more we see of Addison, uh, the more we realise that Joe Schmidt has kind of found a diamond in the rough there, you know, and he had a good eye for a player because he, he really has kind of brought an extra dimension to Ulster and I thought he had a super game. Um, but look, Ulster have was a big performance for Ulster. I can't imagine they'll drop the ball this week, but there is pressure on them in a the sense that every game for Ulster is like, that's the most important game because they're trying to build that consistency into their season. And that pressure is his own telling. Like They're under a lot of pressure this weekend against the Scarlets because Scarlets have nothing to lose. They mm. go to, to Kingspan, they just throw it around, and if, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, go and give it a lash. Uh, and if, we know if Scarlets stick, they can get you. They're a bloody good team when they're on, their, on song. So there's huge pressure on Ulster this weekend to deliver again, uh, and hopefully they will because they do... like. If you take a step further back and look at Ulster over the last few years, like it's been, it's been a bit of a journey for the supporters. Like they've had so many false dawns with, between, you know, winning games, losing games, between coaches coming and going, uh, and you know, someone said during the week that the la- that they were really playing for Dan McFarland, and I I wouldn't disagree with that, but I think they're also playing 
for themselves because they can't have another false dawn at Ulster. They've just had too many of them. And this year cannot be a bust, a beaten docket. You know, they've got to really get something out of it. So I think we're seeing that urgency coming from them. And yeah, I'm optimistic for them, but let's see how the next month plays out. That'll be a big telltale. Yeah, I thought it was a, a benchmark performance for them, really. As Eddie says, it's about backing that up now. There were so many elements that went right for them. The pack, which has been much maligned in the last couple of seasons, really stood up and delivered two scrum penalties, mole penalty, um, set some really good platforms for the backs to attack from. Ian Henderson was at his kind of destructive best. He had that big choke tackle on Samson Lee where it felt like he held him up for about a minute while he stared at the ref. Uh, he stripped Kieran Fonati in the second half. So you had those kind of big players making big plays and, and Kutsia did a lot of the same from the back row. Eric O'Sullivan at Loosehead, who Joe Schmidt mentioned yesterday as one to watch in, in 2019. He was superb, still in the academy, 23-year-old and, and he's kind of had a, a, a he's had to be patient on his pathway to to this point but really impressive 22 tackles was was exceptional as Eddie said the defence was brilliant and it was really patient at important times like they went through 17-16 phases at times before maybe Rory Best pounced for that turnover under their own posts or Henry Spate wide on the right turned over or or just actually the Scarlets running out of patience and making an error kicking the ball away or, or knocking on I also thought this, their set-piece attack was really excellent. And it has been for, for quite a while. It's been a strength of theirs. All four of the tries came from from set-piece platforms. And even the first one, I think in the fourth minute, um, they attack off a left-hand line-out and Addison finds a lot of space, puts that grubber in behind and Spate regathers it. That's the first three points of the game and they potentially could add a try in the left corner there. Um, the, the first try obviously comes from scrum where Addison breaks and, as Eddie said, poor defence. But Spate kind of showing on his inside just makes it a little bit harder for Davies on that read uh, and then Stockdale takes over the the second try was from line out as well and even the last one that could see a try obviously there was a lot of phases before the score but the initial point was left hand side scrum the, they used Stockdale off his wing hit it up and then immediately bounced back to Timoney coming into that space uh, where the forwards of, of the Scarlet forwards are retreating really clever little play and um, they also used Spate and Stockdale really smartly I thought they're two big guys they're very powerful and oftentimes with your wings they can be you know, holding the width, which is an important job, but almost missed during phase play. So, uh, for the two, for the Spate try, actually, Stockdale made a really important carry in midfield off the ruck, and Spate did the same for just before Addison's try as well. So it's really interesting to see them using their wingers in that manner. I thought the fact that they were so good off set piece was an illustration of how well prepared they were for this game. I think they took a lot of pride. They all mentioned it after the match. They'd had a really good week and they were really well prepared for what the Scarlets do. That was also illustrated in the defence because they understood what Scarlets are going to do with that width they use and the forwards in the 15 metre channels. Um, and they just backed themselves to to work hard, as Eddie said, get off the ground and continue to make tackles. So, yeah, it's definitely a major benchmark for, for the province. And I think everyone's optimistic now about it. We, we've seen how good they can be, um, albeit against the Scarlets team that's struggling so far to find their form and, and missing key players. So uh, the, the hope would be that Ulster can back it up now this weekend. But despite all that, Murray, despite all that, you know, and, and everything you said, and I agree with it, is they won by one point. Yeah, you they know, got a bonus point away from home in Scarlets. It's, it's a pretty yeah, good yeah. result. But it, but they won by one point, so like they were they were hanging on at the end, and, and I'm glad they hung on. But uh, you know, there's just that doubt in my mind, and and doubt in everyone's mind that they're they've they've turned the corner. Um, everything you said is true, and and they did very well considering they had less than forty percent possession territory. But I think this week is really they've got to they've got to win this week, and they've got to win well. I think they've got to put these guys away at home to really build on last week. You know, um, if they fall across line against Scarlets. Um, uh, in, in, in Kingspan in front of a home crowd I think they'll take the win but it, it won't reassure people uh, as it needs to so I, I think they've not a build on it and have a big performance this week and win comfortably mm-hmm. against the Scarlet team who you're right are struggling to perform and you wonder how the win PVAC departure is affecting that team one that he's going out the door at the end of the season Absolutely yeah we'll wrap back around to your predictions towards the end uh, gents but my third question for you is this are Munster good Eddie O'Sullivan. I don't know. And I'm not being smart because I think this is the big conundrum at Munster. We don't know where they are. Um, but last week, you'd worry, I have to say. Um, like the big wins they've had this year where they've pounded teams have been where they've been playing under strength sides, you know, like in the in the pro the pro 14, um, like Edinburgh and, and the Ospreys who, who travel light and uh, they gave them a good tonk and um, 
their first game of the season. I think it, was, it might have been the Cheetahs or something in Thurman Park. Uh, who, Cheetahs didn't show up. So you can discount a lot of their big wins. Um, and I still I still worry about Munster that they haven't shown that they've hit the straps in terms of their type of game they want to play and how efficient they are at it. I mean, there's no way they should have struggled for a bonus point and not got it last weekend. They should have had that bonus point in the bag after an hour. I mean, they dominated the first half. Uh, they had something like 65% possession, over 70% territory, and they didn't score a try. Um, they butchered a few. So Castro uh, brought nothing to the party, really. They were awful. They made nearly over 100 yards, 100 metres, and they just had no plan. They couldn't hold on to the ball. Their lineup was a mess. Their scrum was a mess. So you think in a day like that, Munster would put these guys to the sword very efficiently. Um, and I know Van Granson speaking this week about trying to play the perfect game, but everyone tries to do it every week. But Munster, and it just sounds harsh, but you score 30 points at home uh, um, and you win a game, it's, it's you know, you're being ultra critical, but not really. That should have been a bonus point win, and that's the big takeaway for me. They just struggled. And if you look at the three tries they got, I mean, Murray was the key to the two of them, but the defence from, from uh, Castro was appalling. Like They left... I cut a 20 meter short side with a pillar defender and a winger and Murray sees it and he goes down the short side uh, and he puts in uh, he, he puts in uh, uh, Scannell you know and then the second try a massive defensive error from Castro player comes out of his line Murray again goes through puts Standard in and then JJ Hanron's try I think was a forward pass like I can, I was amazed that JP Doyle didn't go and check that but he didn't and they got so those three tries I don't think you get those three tries against another team and that's the problem. You know, they're not deconstructing smart defences and taking them apart and scoring, going through 15, 20 phases. Like we see other teams doing like Leinster. You know, they take it through 15, 20 phases and they get you. Mm. Monster aren't, don't seem to be doing that. And that's a problem. You you will not open teams up like Castro opened up uh, better teams on the track. So Monster haven't really found where they are. And I'm not saying that they have the potential. That was a really good Monster team in the field last weekend. But they're not... They're not showing us that they're really in the groove, and that's a worry because the t- t- clock is ticking on finding your form this season. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it, Murray? That they're motoring along reasonably nicely, but they're yet to make a statement which would lead you to believe that yeah, they're genuine contenders in Europe this season. Like mm. if you look at Munster that beat Castro, I agree with Eddie. They should have put them away uh, with more convincingly. We'll say, which I know it's, it's bizarre to say with a, a thirty points to six victory. But nothing about that performance would make you think, yeah, they've kicked on. Yeah, I thought uh, Caston really tested their defence. There were, what, 56 kicks overall in this game between the two sides. So there was a, a, a limited amount of actually defending in the line. They did defend well. Clute was really destructive there. But in terms of the attack, it was really lacking cohesion. We spoke uh, last week about that Edinburgh game and everyone was getting very excited. We tried to kind of maybe temper that a little bit and... We, we probably failed. saw, yeah, we probably saw a more accurate reflection of where Monsters Attack is. It was jarring how, like, guys just didn't play off each other particularly well. The two Ty Burn examples, obviously, from Conor Murray, stand out. You know, the first one where they're working well around the corner and it looks like a really good build up direct attack as Munster do well, as they had done well for the first three points, for example. Burn carries, kill coin carries, burn carries again, and they get their points out of it. This time, Burn goes off to the right on his own, almost out of structure, and knocks the ball on. And then 10 minutes later, Murray kind of tries to fire the pass wide right to Hanrahan, and Burn's running around the corner, and the ball hits off him and goes forward. I felt that was emblematic of how lacking cohesion they were attacking wise. They did lose Chris Farrell and, and Joey Carberry a little bit earlier in, in mm-hmm. the week, and that didn't help a lot. But I think it showed how important those two guys are. You talk about kind of creativity um, and the ability to see something different in terms of the picture the the defence is painting for you. And those two guys are going to be absolutely essential for it. I think if you're talking about our monster good, I think if those two guys are in the team and fit and everyone is fit and in the team, then they are a good team. They have Michael Haley developing slowly, albeit at fullback, and he always seems to have an error early in a game. There was the kick straight into touch this time, but there's real signs that he's developing and and Van Graan has put an increased focus on the kind of turnover and kick return attack because you can't always go through 15, 20 phases. You can't always bully teams with that direct style that Munster have, have always thrived in. Uh, and they're trying to develop that with Earls and Conway obviously being particularly important. So I think... 
if I'm to answer that question, then are they good? They're good when those 15 guys are all on the pitch, their best players. Uh, when Omani is going and stealing lineouts as he did against Cast, when Billy Holland's getting up, when Clute is being an incredibly destructive presence. I remember him tackling Tulu off. Uh, off one scrum and on the very next tackle actually he gets a turnover and I had to w- rewind it a couple of times like how did he actually get around into the defensive line he just seems to bounce off the ground um, the scrum was really good obviously John Ryan uh, really destructive there and, and your second row is when John Klein is back himself and, and Byrne look like a really good partnership so there's loads of really nice elements but I think for Munster to really compete on both fronts, they're going to need everyone to stay fit and for Joey Carberry in particular to continue his development uh, and for Chris Farrell just to be on the pitch, uh, providing physicality and also nice handling and offloading ability. But there's elements there. I think the defence would have would have pleased them. I think the the kind of end game, the last 10 minutes where Peter O'Mahony and Rory Cocker were basically having a running uh, fight on the pitch, spoke volumes of the frustration that both sides probably felt. That Peter O'Mahony that his team hadn't delivered what they could have delivered in that game and Rory Cocker coming off the bench after his team really just didn't turn up at all. I'd say there was massive frustration there and you'd hope that that battle picks up now this weekend again. Yeah, well, let's start with that one then when we get your predictions, gents. Um, Eddie, Monster down in France. Uh, it's a tough one, isn't it? When you're, you're, you're after a fairly convincing victory at home, the turnaround is fairly fast. You're flying down there. It's a different ball game down there. What are you thinking? I think it'll be a barroom brawl next weekend uh, down there. Um, I mean, you see, the, you saw at the end, the, the, I think one of the mistakes Munster made as well last week was nothing to do with tactics other than that they got into all these verbals and afters, which just ratcheted up the intensity for next weekend. Like, when you're going away from home on the, on the, back, on, on, on the, the back-to-backs, what you don't want to do is give the opposition a reason to get all riled up with you. <laughs> And and what happened at Monsters got they got pulled into all sorts of nonsense like lapel shaking and pushing and variables at each other. And it just escalates just escalates the, the, the tensions for, for, for next weekend. And by the way, it suits Castor to have the tensions escalated in their own backyard. It'll be probably a full house, they'll be swinging over the rafters and they'll be looking for blood. And like that's where Monster are heading over the weekend. Now, plus the fact when Rory Crocker came off the bench. That changed the game as well. Like Crockett's going to play this weekend. They're probably going to have a new front row on the field who who caused problems for Munster when they came off the bench last weekend. This will be a different cast Olympic side at home. And Munster kind of laid the foundation out by not getting the bonus point and by stirring the pot uh, going down there that it's going to be a really tough day out for them. And they're going to have to get a lot of things right to get out of Castor with something. Um, so I think they've made the, their task very difficult. Um, I'm not overly optimistic they'll win the game but I think they've got to step back and say look it's we're kind of still in charge of the pool here so if you get a bonus point away from home that'll be good now they're not going down there to do that I know they're going to try and win but at the end of the day that's Castor team I'd be amazed if Castor don't fire on all cylinders next weekend at home and particularly bring extras to a party because of all the over and back and it's probably not ideal for Munster so I, I think it's a very squeaky one for them I don't know if they'll get it done but if they got a bonus point out of it, you'd say, look, it's it's Europe away from home, get a bonus point. But um, I think they've got a tough job in their hands. Yeah, Murray, if Castor are firing on all cylinders, are Munster capable of getting a win there or is it about a result? Yeah, Castor are a very good team when they're firing all, all cylinders at home, French champions, obviously. Um, and I just fear that if they do match that physicality, if they do make the kind of tackles that they missed or the defensive disorganisation they had for those two Conor Murray breaks, which were really basic, um, that Munster will struggle to break them down w- without Farrell, uh, particularly in the team. So I think a losing bonus point or potentially even a draw is the most uh, likely outcome there. So neither of you actually anticipate Munster winning the game, no? Like you find it hard to it's see. Certainly it. De- it's certainly foreseeable. Definitely, it's going to be a, a, a close game, I think. But I'd be just a little bit pessimistic based on the lack of um, kind of attacking cohesion last weekend. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, we'll swing it back around to Leinster then. Um, obviously, they did win last weekend. We kind of spoken fairly well. I won't say scathing terms, but you know you have to. They are the champions. They set the standard. Uh, at home this weekend, Eddie, you'd imagine they will right a lot of the well wrongs of of last week. Uh, Leinster victory for you? Yeah, I think they will. I think that they won't get pushed around uh, physically like they were on bat. They'll be up a bit, and not they weren't up for it, but they weren't at the the pace they needed to be. Uh, they were a little bit off physically and they paid a price for that. I think they'll sort out the back row. I think they'll sort out the breakdown. I think they'll win more collisions. I think they'll sort out the line-out and I think they'll win the game. 
Uh, now, if they don't tick all those boxes, they're in trouble, you know. Uh, but I don't can't imagine they're not going to make all those fixes. Um, it's probably no harm for them to have a scare like that away from home that gets folks as the mind. Because like everyone was talking, like during the build-up to last week, I mean, listen to the, the English media, even Lawrence Dalio said, well, when you play Leinster, like Slight like in Ireland. So if England can't beat Ireland, what chance have Bath got? You know, there was that kind of talk around the place. And, you know, Austin Healy saying, like, Leinster were streets ahead of everybody in a tournament and they're probably one of the best Heineken Cup teams of all time and stuff. So that that's into the psyche. And, and it does scare the opposition a bit and they play out of their skins but it also does kind of maybe take a little bit of an edge off you think everything's just going to happen for you and then you you know you you so you find the 10 minutes into the game that it's not happening because the opposition are playing out of their skin but i think all that's figured out this week so i think leinster get the job done and if they get on a good roll we know that they can stitch you up they could get the bonus point win um i think battle bring it hot and heavy for the first 20, 30 minutes to see what happens. But if, if Leinster just control the thing as they already do, I think they'll just pull away in the end. Murray? Yeah, I think Battle struggled to deliver a performance equal of that last weekend just in terms of them almost mathematically being out of the competition. They did get that losing bonus point later on, but I think Leinster will be much, much better. Um, and certainly, as Eddie says, it'll have been a bit of a wake-up call and you saw... Johnny Sexton, even late in that game, you could see his determination even with, with Matthew Reynal and how he spoke to him in the second half um, just to, to improve. And I think Leinster will be uh, much more accurate in how they deliver off set piece as well. So I think Leinster will win that well. Yeah, Ulster, Eddie mentioned that the pressure is on them. The pressure is obviously off. The Scarlets, it's difficult to imagine a an away team coming over with nothing to play for and turning any side over that has something to play for. But... As Eddie mentioned earlier, like Ulster should try and win this game convincingly if they're kind of going to make any kind of a statement or, or turn the tide significantly. How do you see it going, Murray? Yeah, also because they're still second in the pool, so it's absolutely crucial. The Scarlets have more injuries, like James Davies is out, Lee Halfpenny's still out, um, they've Aaron Shingler still missing, really key guys, and I, I just don't see them getting that, um, flicking that switch for, for this game away on the road. I think Ulster will understand they well will feel in inside that okay we've turned a page here while the rest of us on the on the outside wait to see if that's actually happened um and I yeah I just see Ulster albeit in a, a tight game because as Eddie said Scarlets can open up and we saw late in that game how they can score from seemingly nothing uh, just a, a flash of individual skill so I think Ulster will will win that but I think the performance is as important almost in terms of convincing themselves and everyone else that they're here to to compete. Do you anticipate they will put together that type of performance, Eddie, that will impress us? I think they will, but it's one of those games where I think that it's not, it's, Scarlet's won't win it. It's up, up to Ulster not to lose it, you know. Yeah. If, if Ulster bring the same intensity they brought last week and they, you know, bring the same accuracy and the same energy, I don't think Scarlet's can beat them. But if they don't, it might be the pressure gets them a bit in front of the home crowd. If they don't start well, you know, they get 20 minutes in and the score is 3 0. The crowd are getting restless. That can be tricky, but look on a balance. Um, I think you know you expect us to kick on here. Hope they do. They need they need to string together some results to settle themselves down in, in the season. And I think that look that this is a great opportunity for them. And I, I can't imagine they'll pass it up. Can I ask you just briefly, Eddie? Like if they were to put that together, back to back wins against the Scarlets, a fairly formidable outfit. Is that the type of sequence of results? that can actually start something for a team and, and make a team believe that, yes, they've turned the corner and they themselves have become a bit of a formidable force. Well, it's the old story about momentum, you know. If you're winning games, you have momentum. And, and um, they haven't really given themselves that momentum. You know, they've been up and down and they've won some games, luckily. And they've, like, they, were, they were very poor, I think, against Cardiff uh, during the autumn series, you know. But there are all excuses for that. But having said all that, they do need to build that momentum. It's all about momentum. So if they beat Scarlets and, and you know, make a statement, and then they go into the, the Christmas period uh, in the Interpros, and they have a chance to build on that, because beating the other provinces is a good shot in the arm as well. Mm. Um, you know, and they, they have to they have to run the gauntlet a bit in that as well. They've got to they've come, come to Connacht. And I remember a couple of years ago that they were 
their season began to unravel down on Galway. Like they 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 were leading Connacht into the last ten minutes, and then they made a mistake and Connacht beat them, and suddenly they got all wobbly. So that's the kind of territory they need to stay away from. And the more you win games, the more performance you stack back to back, that momentum will stand you in good stead. So. Yeah, I think it's very important they win well. It's very important that they take that into the Christmas and the Interpros. And if they can do that, I think you can say in January, these guys have turned the corner and they go into the next round of Europe then, really ready to take it on and, and take the final step and get out of the pool, you know, dominate the pool. Absolutely. Eddie, pleasure as always. Thanks a million. Cheers, guys. Murray, same to you. Cheers, Gav. Uh, that is all we've got time for on Heineken Rugby Weekly this week. A reminder... That if you want more from the game, join Heineken Rugby Club, whose members enjoy exclusive rewards like match tickets and more. Visit HeinekenRugbyClub.com and remember to enjoy Heineken responsibly and visit drinkaware.e. Enjoy the rugby over the weekend and we will be back next Thursday. Until then, take it easy.